very careful and aware of your identity or your reputation within your company. How are you known? What do people know they can rely on you for? What do they know you're good at? How do they see you? It's easy when you're an employee of a large company to not attend so closely to your identity. If you want to make a change when you identify your role and you go, have people agree to let you do that thing that you want to do, they have to have reason to do that. They have to know you as somebody who's going to succeed in that and deliver something of value to them. Helping people build ambitious and satisfying careers, businesses, and lives. This is the Influence Ecology Podcast. Now, here is your host, John Patterson. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are in the world. I'm your host, John Patterson, the co-founder and CEO of Influence Ecology. We're the leading business education in transactional competence. Broadcasting from Ventura, California, this podcast features case studies, stories, and lessons from business owners, executives, and entrepreneurs who found real solutions, real results, and real satisfaction, not only with work, career, and money, but in every area of life. You'll hear how these ambitious professionals found that those who transact powerfully thrive. How do you produce a robust identity amongst thousands of peers in a large corporate environment? Ron Sprangler is someone who's done just that. Rather than join the naive ranks of those whose viewpoint is that the job alone entitles them to a respected identity, Ron's case study demonstrates how to produce a powerful corporate identity in two ways. One, you'll hear how he's become well-known and admired for his specialized knowledge. And two, he shares just how he's cultivated a respected identity, reputation, and character amongst his peers. He survived a big merger and feels confident that what he's learned from Influence Ecology will continue to help him provide real value and real security in the marketplace. Today's Guru Talk distinguishes some of the fundamental principles that produce a respected identity, not only for the small business owner, but also for any employee working within any size organization. Here's the interview. Take a moment, say who you are, where you live, and what you do. My name is Ron Sprangler. I live in Denver, Colorado, and I am a special projects manager for a large energy company. And when did you first hear about Influence Ecology? I first heard about Influence Ecology about a little over a year and a half ago. A friend of my now fiance had posted something about Influence Ecology on Facebook, and she and I both were looking for an education like this, we were looking for some advancement and hadn't found anything that we were interested in for a while. So when we saw this, we called Kristen immediately and found out what it was about and had our applications in, I think, within a day or two. These podcasts are always a way for us to give our listeners some examples and case studies and a sense of what happens when people participate in our programs. So one of the things I'd like to do is give people a sense of where you were, what was going on in your life, and what was going on in your mind and your mindset around the time you were looking for something like this. So at that time, I had been in the job that I am currently in still for quite some time and had been working for this company for over 10 years at the time. And 
I knew that there was something more available to me in my career. I just wasn't quite sure how to go about getting it. And I also knew that there was more available to me just in my life in general, the richness of my life and some of my social environment and things along those lines. So that was why I was looking for it. My life was a little bit chaotic, I would say. I was a little overly busy with all the things that I had committed to and was feeling a little bit overwhelmed. And so I was looking for a way to get a handle on that and just enjoy the richness of life that I knew was there, but didn't quite have access to. And it sounds like you're familiar with, or or you've been in the habit of developing yourself and looking for ways to live your best life as well. Is that right? That is right. I have been involved with a variety of self-development programs and professional trainings through work. And I'm always interested in what's available and what's next and how do you expand yourself to be ready for what the next thing is that is going to come into your life that you want to make available to yourself. And the journey of self-development, has it been mostly about readying yourself for whatever the opportunities might be? Or do you have some sort of end in mind? What's driving all that? That's an interesting question. So I didn't have a specific thing that was driving it when I came into influence ecology. It was this very nebulous sort of thing where I wanted things to be different. I wanted them to be different in a better way, hopefully. But I wasn't really sure what it was that I wanted or what was not better in the first place, what it was that I wasn't satisfied with even. So I came into the program with some very vague ideas, but really nothing particular. Partly I came into the program because Karina, my fiance now, was very enthusiastic about it. She has her own business and saw the opportunity for herself for her business. I, on the other hand, work for a company and have for a while. I didn't think that that was what I was after even, honestly. And I didn't think there was much that I needed in that area in a lot of ways. I thought, oh, I've got that part handled. There's, you know, things happen. And I wish I had felt a little more security sometimes, but that part's handled. But I still had this big unease about things in general. And I realize now that I didn't really know, in a lot of ways, what specifically I wanted. I didn't know what I was working for. I didn't know when I wanted to retire or how I wanted to retire. I didn't know the things. I hadn't really been clear about what are the things I want to be doing every day. What are those activities that I really enjoy that I want more time for? Just had a very vague sense of, I want more time for things that matter to me, which is not very helpful for actually being able to do something. What I love about the way that you're talking about all that is there are people that are trying to move away from some kind of major breakdown or they're in some big transition or there's something wrong they're trying to fix or there's something broken they'd like to recover from or there's some pain point they want to remove so that they can continue to grow to the next level and so forth. There are a lot of people that do our programs as well. There's nothing wrong. It's fine. It's good. Right, right. It's good. Exactly. It's good even, yeah. Yeah, it's fine. It's all good. But uh, you have a sense that there may be more or that you'd like to accomplish some more and perhaps put yourself in a process or through a series of steps to at least examine all that and turn over all the rocks and look and see, hey, is there more here? And if so, what might that look like? Or what could that look like? That was me. 
Absolutely. I was looking for something more and I didn't know what it was. And have you found that here? I have. I've found it in several areas. I've found it in my career and the work that I do every day and the way that I'm perceived in that work. I found it in social circles and the people that we now have in our social life. I found it in my close relationships with family. So uh, yes, I found it in several areas of my life. We have a fun opportunity here, you and I, because our programs basically help ambitious business professionals construct the fundamental transactions that accelerate their results. That's what our curriculum's for. So if someone yep. wants to accelerate the results, they tend to go about it in all kinds of ways. So what we do is we move them through a process, a program that allows them to examine all of the places where they may be naive to things that could speed things up, remove barriers, remove threats, ease the pain, get them there faster, all that kind of stuff. So what I love about the opportunity we have is that Karina, who was a guest on the podcast some time ago, she's a small business owner and you're employed in a business. And there are people who do our programs who are in both of those categories. And I love that we have the opportunity to talk about the difference between the two because we do have customers that come here and think, well, I'm not a small business owner. How can this help me? I was one of those customers. I thought that I was doing it because it was, quote unquote, interesting or I would get something out of it. But from a business perspective, I did not think that it was really for me. And so much so that within, I think, maybe three or four months of starting the first program, the Fundamentals of Transaction, I decided that I needed to start my own business. So I was persuaded, and by hearing all the amazing business owners that are members of your education and all those things, that, oh, this is the thing for me. And then your co-founder, Kirkland, was talking one day and he said, no, you really need to think about this more accurately and in the context of what you want in all areas of your life. Think about how long you're going to be working really hard to start a new business. And, and do you want to do that? Do you want to be doing that for the next five to seven to 10 years that it takes to get there? And I'm planning on working less five years from now. So that was clearly an indicator of, I need to think more clearly about what I'm talking about. We see things and we're so easily influenced. I was influenced by all these powerful people who are in your program. And I thought, oh, that's great. Look at the success they're having. I can go have similar success. And until somebody with some perspective and some knowledge, Kirkland said, no, no, you really need to think about this in a deeper way and evaluate it in the context of all the things that you want in your life. And only then can you get really the right answer for yourself. It's really great. I just had this conversation with someone recently. There are many, many people, because we're social critters, we tend to look to the left and to the right and think, oh, I should be more like him or her. Right. Whatever that may be. I should have a body that's more like that guy's. I should have a job like that girl's or whatever the case may be. That's what we do. Can't help it. Yep. So when someone is taking the time and moving through a six-month program to think very, very accurately about their aims, there's this condition of life we deal with called work. 
what you're doing, you know, what you're actually doing. And it's a simple thing. It's such a simple thing. But oftentimes when people look over to the left or right, I see, I see that guy with that body that I think, I wish I had a body like that, but I certainly do not want to spend all the time at the gym. That guy's <laughs> <That's right. laughs> Nor do I want to work like that person or this person, or I think you said it in your notes, perhaps you're just here. You know, I don't want to spend my life on airplanes or in hotels, whatever it might look like to start that business. Exactly. So that was really helpful because I'd always had this idea that was untested and not really validated at all in the real world. And it's fine if that's what I want to do. It's not that it's a bad idea. It's just you need to be clear about what it's going to take and have some idea of what you're getting yourself into or else the outcome is going to be awful. Well, and I think there's another aspect of this as well. I'm going to say this generally. I don't know that this is true, so I'm not here to talk about this like it's some fact, but since we talk about personality as an aspect of what people do to construct the transactions to satisfy their aims. And so if I'm going to construct the fundamental transactions to accelerate the results that I want to produce, for some people, that looks like starting a business or taking their business to the next level, taking it up many, many notches. Sure. But for other people, it seems like the personalities, and I'll say this this way, it seems like the personalities, producers and judges. So producers are the people in the transaction who tend to be the doers. And judges in the transaction are the people that offer an assessment. That's their value in a transaction. Those two personalities... I find myself sometimes having the conversation with them that looks something like, look, I, I know it looks like if you look over there that you want to, you should be more like him or her starting that new business, but it may not make you happy ultimately because in the role of producer or judge for many of them, they're really, really, really satisfied with getting up underneath and behind something and providing an extraordinary amount of value in that existing enterprise, in that existing endeavor, and so forth. So I often try to get people directed in, in that way. And that's exactly what my experience has been. So I quickly abandoned this idea that there was something different to be done. And I took on in my own job that I had currently, what could I do differently and better to have it be both more satisfying to me, but also increase the value that I provide dramatically to the company I work for. The results of that have been really spectacular. I have structured my job now so that I'm basically an internal consultant to my company. I do projects that are focused on our operations, but I'm in the IT department. And so I really have a great deal of autonomy to go identify and create project ideas and bring people into those projects, present ideas to them, develop those ideas with the people in operations. And then I have the team behind me that can fulfill on all of those project ideas and deliver those things. And I do it a lot faster than I used to. I've gone probably from having, I don't know, about a million and a half dollars worth of projects a year that I'm responsible for. To this year, I think I've got about 
$8 million projects that I'm running right at the moment. And the value of those projects has gone up dramatically of what it provides. The return on investment of those projects, they'll return that $8 million of investment in under 12 months. I've really gotten much more effective in my job and therefore enjoy it more. So as an intrapreneur, because I think that's an important, so as an intrapreneur, somebody who's providing that kind of leadership, that kind of innovation within the organization in which you're a part, how did you transact with your company to get the current role you have? If you'd like to know more about Influence Ecology and our approach, you can register for free 30-day guest access. During this time, you can test drive our interactive webinars, online learning system, and private mentorship. Program participation is by application only, and successful participants earn candidacy into our advanced program tiers. Our members are an international assembly of ambitious professionals, business leaders, and executives from a variety of countries, industries, and cultures. To find out more, you can find a link in the show notes for this podcast at influenceecology.com forward slash podcast. That's influenceecology.com forward slash podcast. Or in the U.S. or Canada, you can text the word ambition to 805-262-9008 and we'll send the registration link right to your mobile phone. Again, text the word ambition to 805-262-9008. Also in our show notes, you'll find all the links to websites, books, or special downloads mentioned in this podcast. Sure. I actually just negotiated directly with my boss. I've had a lot of different roles within the company and have managed a lot of people at at different times. And realizing that that is not the best use of my time, where my company gets the best return of the value or that I enjoy it the most, we worked out a deal where I gave up the folks who reported to me by and large, except for a handful of core people, and then liberated to go and pursue these projects. It was an explicit arrangement between me and my boss about that this would be the way that it changed. And it was partly his idea, it was partly my idea, because he knew me well enough to know that that was really the value that I offered to the company. And and I knew that it was too. We saw that that's what it was and went forward with that plan not that long ago. And how did what you learned here help you construct that or move through that particular transaction? It's interesting because that was in process a little bit as I was starting the program. So he and I had talked about it and were thinking it was a good idea, but it wasn't going well because I didn't have the skills to really fulfill on what I had promised or what he was expecting. So we had this thing, it's like, oh, it seems like a great idea, but I didn't really have what I needed to be able to fulfill it because I was in a role now where I had to be the salesperson working for projects and I had to be the person getting everybody to agree on what we were going to do in the terms of things. And I had to be the one who was putting together the team to fulfill on it. And I had to be the one to figure out how, how do we know if everybody was happy with the product at the end of the line? And I had to do all these roles that when I had a bigger team, there were other people to do those things. And, but I didn't know how they did those things until I came into your program. And I learned how people will fulfill those parts of the transaction and how they do what they're good at. So those skills that I learned as this transition was happening are actually the thing that made it successful. 
Good. Imagine you're talking to somebody in a similar kind of position. They work for some enterprise. How might that go about transacting to increase the value they offer in that transaction? And I want to say something about that just briefly because for someone who owns an enterprise, the owner of an enterprise is working on increasing the value of that enterprise for all kinds of reasons. And certainly they want the public at large, whoever their customer is, is, to accept their offer. So you, as someone in an enterprise, are constructing a similar offer of value to your employer. They're very similar kinds of engagements, but they have some different bits to them. Business owners concerned for other aspects of the enterprise. How would you tell someone in a similar situation as yourself to go about increasing the value they offer their enterprise? I would give them two pieces of advice. The first is to be absolutely crystal clear about what the specific knowledge you have that no one else in the organization has. Each of us knows something that no one else knows. We have a particular technical background or we've interacted with folks. Figure out what that is that you have that is very rare and unusual within your enterprise and make sure that you can identify it, articulate it, speak about it, make it clear to other people. And that leads into the second point, which is be very careful and aware of your identity or your reputation within your company. How are you known? What do people know they can rely on you for? What do they know you're good at? How do they see you? It's easy, I think, when you're an employee of a large company to not attend so closely to your identity. If you're a business owner, you care how you're perceived in the marketplace all day, every day. But if you're an employee for a company, it's easy to get a little, a little lax about that and not give it the attention that it really requires. And if you want to make a change like this where you identify your role and you go have people agree to let you do that thing that you want to do, they have to have reason to do that. They have to know you as somebody who's going to succeed in that and deliver something of value to them. Well said. Great advice. Anything else about all that? Both of those things have been you know, very valuable to me recently as the company that I work for was recently acquired by a much larger which could easily have assumed and absorbed all the functions of all the people here. There are 35,000 people and we were 1,500. So they could have just started doing all the things we did. And if it had not been for the fact that I had some very specific knowledge within my company and everybody knew me as the person who could get large projects done with our operations folks, I would have been feeling threatened about what my job was going to be. Instead, I was put in a role of managing one of the four large integration projects for this acquisition, a multi-year, multi-million dollar project, and have actually expanded my reputation. And now I'm well known in both companies and outside in industry circles in general. So it's critical to be cognizant of that, how you're perceived and what your reputation is. Great advice. I'm remembering situations being at larger corporations. I was working for a large corporation that was undergoing a merger. If I go back and think about it, I don't remember people being at work on their identity. I think people just did what they did. 
they talked about what they talked about without any concern for their identity, the way they were perceived for their reputation, their specialized knowledge, the value they offer, and so forth. Do you find people are just frankly naive to that? What's your experience of all that? I find that people are naive to it. Yeah, I agree with that. I Actually, I was naive to it. I knew that I had some things to clean up about how I was perceived and what my identity was within the organization. I just honestly thought, I'm smart, I work hard, and it doesn't really matter that much, to be honest. So I had a little bit of arrogance about it. And that is a sure way to find disaster. The only way that anybody knows, especially in a situation like this of a merger, the only way anybody knows what you can do is if they hear about it, if they know who you are and they see what you can do. So just assuming that people will figure out that you're smart and you're capable really is just not good enough. The workplace obviously has changed so much from your security is no longer with a company or with their stability or any of those things. The only thing that gives any of us working for other companies any sort of security is the specialized knowledge that we have and our identity. I'm certain now that if I were to, if something were to happen and they did decide, oh, we'll just replace everybody at that company, it would take me three days to find another opportunity that I would enjoy as much as I enjoy this one. That must be extraordinary to feel that kind of certainty and security in having established yourself being known that way. It is. And it's also new. It's recent. I would not have felt this way two years ago before I started the influence ecology programs because, well, I wouldn't have been providing the same value. I wasn't providing the same value. I wouldn't have been cultivating my identity so that I was known outside. I wouldn't have been presenting at conferences. I wouldn't have been doing those things that actually have you have some security outside your company. So it's really refreshing. And it's almost, it's hard to watch the people around me as they struggle with the uncertainty and the insecurity around this merger. When I realize that they're all smart people and they all have good reputations. And if only they would cultivate that a little bit, they'd have no reason to feel threatened at all. Do you experience that some people feel that doing my job entitles me to a great identity? I do. I'm in a technical field. And so a lot of people really just rely on their technical skills and maybe some certifications and some things. And those, those speak to your identity a bit, but it doesn't really say who you are within the company and what what you do that nobody else can do. So yeah, there is a lot of, I don't know whether it's the same sort of arrogance that I had of I'm really good at this and I shouldn't have to prove it to anybody, or if it's something more that their personality types tend not to want to promote themselves as much. So I'm not sure where that comes from, but I see a lot of that. As the world moves a little bit through different eras of what we call a career. At my dad's age, my dad worked for the same company throughout almost his entire life. Worked his way up from the basement all the way up to the exec office. But just speaking to some of the people in my own study groups and, and people I'm working with, there are other eras where, you know, that wasn't the case. You don't stay at one place 
for a lifetime. You actually don't stay long enough to be seen as stuck, and you're not, you don't move too quickly to seem flakely. So that was his version. And then another version, the more later version, has a lot more to do with skill and identity and how you move in the transactions in which you're a part, and that there's definitely something that's moving and changing for people as they move through all of that. I think it's a big deal. I think it's a really big deal to attend to the current and modern facticity of what we call a career. I think you're right. And it really has become all about being portable. So you have to be able to pick up and carry with you whatever it is that distinguishes you. And it's no longer, oh, I've been here for 15 years, so I know everything about how it operates. It's, I have this specific knowledge and this is how I transact, and this is my identity out, out in the market and, and how people know me. And those are the only things that you can really take with you. Well said. Well, Ron, is there anything else that you would like to say today? We always give people a little soapbox moment. I think I want to talk a little bit more about the sense of liberation and freedom that I've gotten through your programs, which is not really what I expected when I went into them. And it's all around career in my work. And as I said a little bit earlier, you know, we went through a merger and, and I've gone on this path of increasing my identity as we go. It's remarkable and very clear to me the difference of what it's like to feel threatened by the environment and what it's like to not feel threatened. So that knowledge that had this happened earlier when I had not had this training in education, I would have felt threatened by what happened with this merger. And none of us likes that feeling and people make poor decisions because of it and bad things happen and everybody does stupid things when they feel threatened. But those threats are everywhere in our lives. And so now Karina and I are at work on the threat of what about our retirement? We want to stop working fairly soon. And before we started this, we were actually quite naive about what that was going to take. and We hadn't thought seriously about it. It was this looming threat that we weren't sure we had handled or wasn't sufficiently dealt with. Well, now that we understand the value of having some accurate thinking and getting some help when you need it and having, you know, building more resources than you need to have, we're at work on what that looks like. And so by the time we say we're going to stop working, we'll know that there's no threat there anymore. And you can apply it to any area of your life that you want to reduce the way that you feel like the environment can just have its way with you, right? It's, it's really powerful to not feel that you're just being buffeted by the wind or circumstances change and all of a sudden your life is upside down. It's really been powerful. I just want to acknowledge and commend you guys for, for that in areas that really probably are not things that you set out to accomplish, but it ripples through the people in your college's lives in, in ways that are really remarkable. So I just wanted to thank you for the unintended and un, perhaps unforeseen outcomes of coming into this education. You're welcome. It's my pleasure. I could say so much about all that, but I just repeat all that you said so well. It's been a wonderful journey to do the exit interview I do with everybody who completes our fundamentals program and find out how 
you said it quite well, uh, finding out how I transact in the marketplace with my identity, with my knowledge, with my skill, with my personality, and moving towards my aims and thinking accurately about them and removing the threats and building a surplus in every condition of life, how utterly satisfying and freeing that is. It's fantastic. So I, I appreciate you saying that and it's a pleasure to, to do what we do. I love it. That's great. Well, appreciate it. It's, it's been a great journey with you guys. Likewise. All right, Ron Sprangler, thank you so much for being on the Influence Ecology Podcast. Thank you, John. It was my pleasure. As I told you earlier, today's Guru Talk distinguishes some of the fundamental principles that produce a respected identity, not only for the small business owner, but also for any employee working within any size organization. This is a special talk by my co-founder and head philosopher, Kirkland Tibbles. Here's the talk. For me, it's about situational awareness. People need to be more aware of their current situation before they run off and start a new business or jump into some kind of enterprise or independent distribution or any other number of offers in the marketplace that promise independence and autonomy and freedom because they're couched in this notion of entrepreneurship or business ownership. People ought to stop and think very seriously before they invest the time, energy, effort, and especially the money required to go into enterprise ownership. I've found that most people can actually meet or get very close to their ultimate aims in the organizations and the industries and the discourses that they've located themselves in. Look at your situation. Think about where you are is what I tell most people that I run into, especially around influence ecology, who get motivated and excited when they see customers of ours and their fellow students with their own businesses accomplishing these great things. And, and they get excited and think that's the situation for them. And in, and in fact, for, for many of them, it is not. Look, I, I get the appeal of business ownership. I've, I'm someone who's who for the majority of my adult life, I've owned or operated an enterprise and enjoyed the benefits of business enterprise and business ownership most of my life. And, and for me, it's a, it's a good fit. But there's a sacrifice that goes with that kind of work. It happens to be the kind of work that I enjoy. It, it also happens to be the kind of work that I'm fitted for. I was brought up and trained by people in this particular discourse. And that's simply not the case for most people. Michael Gerber talks about this as in his book, The E-Myth. He talks about the technician talks about the worker who would rather be putting in the hours and the labor and the hard work on their own for their own good and for their own equity rather than for current management or ownership. And so they strike out on their own and in many cases borrowing money from friends and family. They start their business and, and after they've worked their way through a few friends and family members as customers, then they find their way into the real world where they've got to get out there and spend an awful lot of time building their identity and building their message and their brand and prospecting and bringing in new customers and building the enterprise and making payroll. And it isn't too long before they look up and realize that they're not in the business of the activity that had them be a highly compensated technician. They're in the business of business ownership. They're operating and managing a business. They're not in the technical apparatus 
that had them interested in, in doing the kind of work they wanted to do. They find themselves in business. And there's a big difference between enterprise ownership, entrepreneurship, and being someone who's really good at a thing. The thing that you've got to get good at if you're going to transact the marketplace as a business owner is business ownership. And you've got to learn that working on a business is very different than working in a business, as Michael Gerber talks about in that great book. I tell people all the time, there's a kind of situational awareness that is required as you look to make these key decisions. You're 55, 56, 57 years old, and you bought into this current notion that being in business for yourself is the answer. Man, you better think very seriously about what that means and what the sacrifice is going to be, what it is you're going to be giving up. You better ask yourself if you're fitted for that particular endeavor. Is that the kind of work that you want to be doing? Is that the kind of activity that you want to be spending your day in and day out? Is that how you want to be spending your time? And for most people, the answer is no, but they don't know that because they bought into the hype. Look, the place to look first is what possibilities exist right where you are. When someone who is very well established in an industry, in a company or an organization comes to me and says they want to jump ship, start their own business, I am almost always, to their surprise, negative on the idea. And I invite them to consider exhausting all of the possibilities that they have available right where they are first. And I press them and I challenge them. Are you sure you can't reach your aims right where you are? Are you certain that you have exhausted every possibility to increase your own value? Have you constructed and designed the transactions and the offers with the folks in the organizations and the enterprises where you transact now? Have you constructed the transaction and put yourself in a situation where you could be doing the kind of work that would be satisfying there? It's always surprising to me the number of people who look outside of their current situation rather than turning inward, looking in the organizations and the enterprises and the industries where they already have built a body of accomplishments, where they've already got a long and deep reach of human resource, where they know things and know people and can make moves. Instead of looking to design there, they buy into this notion that the answer lies outside of their current existence. And that is a big mistake. Look, I know it's frustrating in corporations. Things move slowly. But the thing to do first before you jump out into business ownership. If you have a good situation and you can make it better, that's the place to start for most people. There's a reason that the numbers look the way they look in business startups. Most startups fail. And they fail for pretty much the same reasons. Capital and management. Now what that really means, if you put those two things together, it's called transactional competence. Accurate thinking, accurate planning, strategies, tactics, and implementation. And people do not do that kind of work. They're buying into the hype of entrepreneurship, of what they think is going to be freedom. Instead, what happens is they exchange freedom for security and certainty. 
I think it was Mike Tyson that said, yeah, everybody's got a plan until they get hit in the mouth. And that's the expression that best suits what I find about a year into a startup when you see that technician who got tired of working for the organization and building the equity of the owners who had been making that payroll all the years and wanted to do it for themselves. I want to work for myself. If I'm going to go do it, then by golly, I should be, be working for myself. They have that look on their face when they have to make their first payroll and can't take a paycheck home themselves. They have that look on their face when they realize that the two big clients that they were counting on, that they were certain were going to pay their bill in time, and they pulled on their line of credit to make payroll and to pay a few bills and to pay the rent, and all of a sudden those invoices don't get satisfied, that's getting punched in the mouth. And plans change quickly. There's a reason that the numbers look the way they do, why most businesses fail. It's because of a lack of transactional competence. If you're 30 years old and you've got a broad reach and a body of accomplishments and you've got some folks that can help you, that's a different situation than someone who's 57 years old who has had it in the back of their mind that they ought to be doing something different. And rather than looking right where they are in the industry and the enterprises where they've built a body of accomplishments and a source resources of help and some power, redesigning their own offers inside those organizations and those industries, instead of doing that, they make a terrible mistake and they go out and try to do it on their own. And that's what you find. You find people who buy into a self-actional orientation where they buy into belief and they buy into their own charisma. They buy into their the power of their own being, that they and they alone, if it's to be, it's up to me. They're going to go positive mental attitude themselves into a serious problem. Now, I don't want to be a, a dream killer here. You're listening to somebody who has done just that, gone out and started businesses, and many have worked and many have failed. I'm just here to tell you that it requires some situational awareness. It requires some accurate thinking before you jump out there and make that move. And I find that most people don't do the proper thinking, the proper and accurate planning before they jump out and take those risks. And it's a mistake for a lot of people. And I'll tell them that. In our next episode, you'll hear a case study from Dr. Sarah Jane Maharg. She's a peace and conflict planner in Canada. Her mission is to support democratic interventions into the world's emergencies, including natural and human-made disasters. My transactions have to matter to me, whether that's with my physical environment in my home office or dressing my little girls in the morning. That's a transaction, but it has to be one that's meaningful and that matters. And so by deliberately understanding that I'm always in a transaction, then I can make it matter and not just have it be an irrelevant part of my day. If you enjoyed this podcast, I ask that you share it with others. You can share it from our website at influenceecology.com. You can also subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or any place that you get your podcasts. If you haven't yet offered a rating or a review, I ask that you do take a moment, go to the iTunes website or wherever you listen to your podcast and let us know what you think. Finally, I'd like to thank Ron Sprangler for a great interview. In our show notes, you'll find links to connect with him and all the links to websites, books, or special downloads mentioned at this podcast. 
This podcast is made possible by the brilliant work of the Influence Ecology faculty, mentors, and members around the world. We're grateful for co-founder Kirk Tibbles and his 30-plus years of specialized study and practice that make all this possible. This podcast is produced by me, John Patterson, Jason Kelly, Tyson Crandall, and Carol Gregory. Jason Kelly is our podcast editor and music supervisor. 